This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Great, that's awesome. So that's what it means is the board is on. Okay, I understand now. I have so. encouraged Phil to get a a light, a red and a green yeah, light. Yeah. Like you'd imagine um I don't know, in the old days. Right. Like the old FM radio days. But he, yeah, he, it's just not it's not in he's, his he's DNA. He's not gonna do it. Priorities. No. What's so what's the what's your elk hunting situation going on right now? Are you have you been out? Nope. And well here's I drew I just got back from moose hunting. Okay. Um, and I drew what is arguably the most coveted tag in in my state, in Montana. If For you ask that question, you'd, you'd get two answers maybe. Like, okay. what is the most coveted elk tag? Right. Um, and I drew one of them. So nor- much of the state, the bulk, I shouldn't say the bulk of the state, yeah, I, I guess like the bulk of the elk hunting in the state is is over the counter for right. residents. You just mm-hmm. buy it at the gas station yeah. or online. But we have we have um, limited draw units. And years ago, they carved out this chunk of ground that that sits on the northwest border of Yellowstone National Park. Oh. Right, and it used to be a general unit. It used to just be like yeah. the elk unit, right? And and I haven't. I, I keep meaning to get into the history of it because uh, I have a friend whose relative was instrumental in creating this thing called the buffer zone. And it's a little over fifty square miles that sits up against the park, right? And they give out five elk tags every year for the buffer zone, and you can't even hunt deer in it, right? Okay, so just so no one's in there hunting deer. There's no cow tags. It's just five. It might even be either sex. It was five elk tags right. for 50 square miles. And what it does is it gets elk. As elk are migrating out of the park, mm-hmm. it gives them kind of, well, a buffer. Yeah. Between as they're exiting the park and dispersing around because they follow some, some of those elk that live in Yellowstone follow some pretty predictable migratory routes mm-hmm. before they fan out and go in various paths and so i think it's meant to kind of soften the migration exit out of there there are resident elk there but kind of the real gem is when they start moving out, right. of, that, out of the high country like out of what what is yellowstone national park and start moving out i was gonna go and hunt it archery and then yeah. hunt it for rifle Right, but then I got a kind of a cool uh, deer hunt opportunity down in Idaho, where I also drew a tag. It's not as cool, but worth going. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go do that, and then I'm going to dedicate the last couple weeks of our general firearm to really hanging out in the buffer zone. Oh, that's great! Mm-hmm. Gosh, yeah. so that's so. Is it is it a point system up here then? They this state does when, when you. Uh, I don't mean to tell you. At the risk of telling you something you already know, you have states that don't do anything. Yep. Alaska, Idaho, mm-hmm. New Mexico. Like, right. everybody's in the draw together. There's no building points. And then you have these states that do what they call preference points, where the max point holders mm-hmm. are are given a certain slot of the draw. So they might say, like, okay, 70% of the tags will go to whoever has the most points. 
And so once you're a max point holder, you have a guarantee of drawing it. Montana does something that kind of gets a similar, winds up doing, I guess, the same function is they square all of your points. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I've never drawn a limited draw elk tag in this state. So right. I think my name was in the hat 400 and sometimes. Okay. Because you get squared. Yeah, yeah, you get squared. Meanwhile, my son, his name was in the hat one time. Right. So I had to jump on him. Yeah. Like you. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, but I don't know how many, um, I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people who have all the points. Yeah. But it, you know, helps out. So that's how they run it here for all the, for all the limited entry stuff. Yeah. So what's it, what's your, and I kind of know the answer because I, I think you and I talked about it before, but is there a time of year? and an animal that you prefer to hunt over anything else? Mm-hmm. Is it like, this is the time of year that fires me up. This is the animal that fires me up. This is the region of the world regardless. Like, just answer all those questions. If I had to limit it down and just, like, pick very specific things, I would yeah. want to hunt turkeys in the spring. Okay. And I would want to hunt mule deer in the fall. Okay. So you're a mule deer guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, do you see that? Because I see it as, like, they're mule deer guys and they're elk guys, mm-hmm. right? It's, like, very distinctly different camps and they both kind of scoff at each other like oh like mm, have you yeah, seen I, don't, that? I don't i don't yeah i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about it's like i'm an elk guy or i'm yeah. a guy. little rivalries yeah a little rivalry i'm too much of a generalist for all that yeah you know your 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 cousin mm-hmm. he works with jason phelps yeah we always laugh that jay you know jason phelps all he thinks about i mean he likes to hunt mule deer and elk yeah but he's got a thing where he had like the rivalries he had vowed to never kill a white tail deer. <laughs> Vowed to not kill a white tail deer. It's awesome. We took him down. Like he went coos deer hunting with us, yeah. which is a desert white tail, and he yeah. was able to draw out that that's not the same thing. Right. So he didn't break his vow. <laughs> <laughs> which to me is like, I don't do that. I mean, I like everything, right? But yeah. But no, I, I particularly like that. Okay. Especially if you can do it in late November. Right. But there's something about when, when, when mule deer are rutting and you're going to see deer you don't, you're going to see deer you don't normally see. And then the thing I also really like about it is if you find some does and you're just watching them, like, you know. Right. Right. Like, you see, so you see not just one doe doesn't, like, a doe and a fawn, you're kind of like, ah, eh, whatever. Not whatever, but you don't really know. But, I mean, you find a pocket of five or six does you during know. the mule deer rut. And there's right. not many places you can hunt that late. It's, you know, there's not a lot of states you can do that, but to really hunt in the peak of the rut. But as close as you can get to it, and you find five or six does, and just the feeling of anticipation of knowing that if you watch them for a day or two, bucks are just going to keep turning up on right. them and keep turning up on them and keep turning up on them. It's so much fun, man. I love it. I love it. I so I haven't done a lot of deer hunting outside of like Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and then our our hunt, which we'll talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I fell into that camp of well, I like hunting elk. This is what I like to do. It's fun. It's loud. It's kind of obnoxious. It's not a hard sell. It's like they're huge. They're huge. They make all kinds of noise. Yeah. I was saying it was like, I want to do this uh, design. I was like, it's a forest horse with swords on its head. It's fucking cool. It's a really cool animal to get close to. You have these really interesting experiences with these, you know, close experiences with these really big, powerful animals. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing. They can come experience. in in a way that's menacing. Yeah, they can come in a way that unnerves you. Yeah, like, no one gets unnerved by a mule deer. No, 
No, if he'd anything, have to have he'd have to have something real wrong with him to be under <laughs> to be unnerving. <laughs> like, like this thing's not intimidating. No, he's, he's, but this thing, horse like, comes trotting thing, in. Yeah, that thing's paranoid, is what he is. But uh, elk, yeah, yeah. It's it's and it's like snots flowing out. It's loud. <laughs> it's clunking. You know, or glunking. What do they call that? Yeah, yeah. What what does that noise come from? Do you know what that noise comes from? Is it coming know. from its? I think Stomach? he's doing the same, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a good question for Yanni because you even see him do like a pelvic thrust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was... I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I know that Yanni has explained it to me and we've talked about how they're somehow getting their junk into it. That's what that's what I've heard too, yeah. where they're banging their, their junk against their belly. Yeah. But... I can't do that. I, you know, I, I mean, not without a significant amount of help. I'd, yeah, yeah, you know. help. I'd have to have Yanni help me. Yeah, there'd have to be some some help involved like any like some type of podcast producer or something would have to plug in no we're we're just hunting moose and they have a similar but not they got a yeah 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 where were but you they at? don't but it's effortless they don't they don't they're like yeah where were you at? they're like packers not they're not they're, all over the place yeah they're 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 you know giant he's not air humping not he's banging not air humping drum, something you know yeah, that's exactly. what it sounds like it's like it sounds like that thing's like banging their hollow stomach or something it's, great it's like noise. sloshing around it's a great what? word it's a great word glunk yeah it is it's and i don't think it exists in other vocabularies i think no. it'd be interesting for us to look at see if it's in the in the japanese dictionary yeah, I don't phil, think, phil I don't when think was the last time that. you said the word glunk yeah, so you, it's just, it's just people don't use that word. Yeah, yeah, glunking. Yeah, I think you know. I think we could make that a a new t shirt design. I'd be glunking something like that. I think that's a cool. It's a cool t shirt design for me to. Yeah. On. What? So where were you moose hunting? We were moose hunting in so south of the Yukon River, not far from where the Yukon River flows out of Yukon Territory. Okay, mm-hmm. were you? productive successful yeah yeah what was the the area we were in has a there's a 10-day season and we we're there mm-hmm. for the whole season okay and then finally at 6 30 p.m on the last day of the season called a couple bulls in wow and they're they, menacing they are they're they're when they terrifying. when they finally get where they're going to come in they're yeah. menacing yeah yeah i will say not as loud though it's not like that insane the lot, the, you know, yeah. like a, like a, like they, they got their little noise, which is fine, but it's not like, Wah! yeah, you know. I've had that feeling, uh, when I was younger, I was working in Botswana and I was out with the Botswana defense force. And it was the first time they were introducing us to, to lions because we were going out into the field and we're doing, um, we're doing these counter poaching things. So they're oh. showing us, Hey, this is a lion. You know, this is a female. This is a male. This like, is a zebra. Yeah, this is a zebra. <laughs> you know, so you're kind of like, this is cool. You know, like, I'm going to be in on this. But the the male lion, when it when it roared, it shook the plural space in your lungs. So you, like, it's oh. power from its sound. You could feel it, and it was terrifying. It was, it was the only sound outside of gunfire from another animal that had... Mm-hmm physically made an impact and then also terrified me at the same time even though it's in in you know behind a cage it mm-hmm. was terrifying it spoke to you oh my gosh yeah. and um but elk do the same thing if you're close to them and their bugle you know they're they're ripping 
they can shake that space in your lungs and you can feel it. It doesn't terrify you like a lion, but it's still, nonetheless, you can feel how powerful the animal is. You can feel it because yeah. it's so, so incredibly loud. And when they're really ripping and you're so close and you know, like, okay, well, I'm either going to take that or you're just close watching, which I've done it multiple times. It's, it's an incredible experience because you can feel the animal. So it's, it's a different type of connection. I've often uh, thought that that at, when they're in the rut and really going nuts, I you'd look at them and almost think that they're um, they like live off rabbits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like how there's no way that thing eats grass. <laughs> no way. There's no way it eats grass. No way. It probably eats deer fawns. Yeah, it's something. Just it yeah, they eats gets... baby bears. <laughs> <laughs> Skewers them. But a mule deer, he he's, he looks very herbivorous. <laughs> But I, they're, I, they're, I don't mean to dog on them. Their whole groove is cool as shit. But yeah, they're, uh, they're a shy, sensitive, they're a shy, sensitive animal. So, if you were to classify them into humans and then break them out into stereotypical regions, would you say like elk is like a New Jersey male, and then uh, mule deer would be like a California vegan? No, it'd be elk would be like. Um, I don't like a weightlifter. I don't have. I'm not. Hit, I don't have good newer references. All mine are real old. Yeah, that's good. Well, if I was gonna say Hulk Hogan, what would I say nowadays? Hulk Hogan. I think okay. it still lives. I yeah, think, I think it, a, a riding elk is a Hulk Hogan yeah, yeah. figure. Yeah, and uh, mule deer is like a Brando. Martin right, Brando. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you're like contradicting the personalities in that way. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Like a Hulk Hogan. Okay, I can see that. Is he still alive? I would imagine. I mean, I think. Oh yeah, because he got in a big dust up with. Uh, he got in a big dust up with. Maybe I'll think of someone else. Bought it, some photos. I don't know. Oh yeah, he had like. Um, yeah, I, I don't exactly matter. remember. I don't want to get my facts wrong. What the hell is on your shirt? Oh, it's an espresso machine. It's a. Oh. It's a Lamarzoco Linea Three, which is like. An, <laughs> OG espresso machine. Thinking, is that some kind of souped up coffin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody thinks it's so funny because people always look at it and they're like, exactly that. Like, what the hell is on your on your shirt? That's a real insider shirt. No, it's super inside baseball. Like, okay, if you yeah. if you know what this is, you're a coffee nerd, like yeah, a full like blown. It. Like, you've caught the bug. You're you're a full blown nerd. Yeah. Okay. I like what's on your shirt. You like those. You like those broadheads? Yeah, I like that guy too. Yeah, I like that guy a lot. Yeah. I've just got turned on to this dude um, from DCA that he makes custom arrows. Oh, yeah. You seen his? No. Oh man. So him and Carl is that right? Or it's Kyle and uh, Bill from Iron Will. Yep. Yeah. They teamed up and they do these custom arrows. Oh, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. No, Yanni just ordered some of them. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've got everybody going over to get some of those because he's. I was shooting his arrow against my arrow. Like when I say his arrow, one of the guys I was hunting with, um, exact green weight draw length as my arrow, but I made mine, so I fletched it and cut it. But so green weight, everything was the same. Mm-hmm. I was like two two grams off, which whatever, it doesn't really matter. But he was getting ten inches of additional flight out of the same weight. Because of the way that he's he's designing them at fifty, so I was excuse getting, me, because I don't understand when you say ten inches. He so flight. at fifty, so at fifty yards, I was shooting my arrows, and I had one group, and then I just plugged his arrow in, which oh. is like one 
two grams off elevation. Yeah, and I'm yeah. getting ten additional arrows based on the aerodynamics of the way he's building it. Yeah. So I called him as this John um, Casmus was a guy that I was hunting with, and um, he was like, "Yeah, call this guy. He's, he's making custom arrows. They're great. You should order some." So I ordered some instantly. I was like on my phone hiking up the mountain texting him like hey mm-hmm. man how, how do i get some some arrows but uh yeah yanni will have to say like if they're good. yeah yanni's into it. yanni's Is into he? the he's into the the tinker my for when it comes to archery setups i'm in the habit of no i'm not going to change this i'm right. in the habit of just talking to people that know a lot more than i know mm-hmm. and and just having faith in what they tell me because there's a lot. There's a lot of things I like, but I just haven't. Um, I haven't gotten to where I I, I. I just rely on what people tell me to do, with what? archery equipment, not with firearms, but with archery yeah. equipment. I'm just like, you, you, here's here's my body, right? Like you tell me, this is what I look like. <laughs> the thing, the thing I, I like about you is you're not you're not a a gear. You're not like. You're not geeking out and going down the rabbit hole on a bunch of. No, I'd like to. Yeah, but you don't do it. You know, no. I, and when I say that, I'm, it's a compliment because there's some dudes you're like, okay, man, I, I I got it, but I can't spend two and a half hours talking about the stabilizer. Like yeah, it's not, yeah. it's just not my thing. Part of the problem I think is I do too much. Not too much. I'm I'm a very I'm a generalist. Yeah. So every week out of every like every week out of every month out of every year, there's always something I'm going to do. And um, I sort of fantasize about just narrowing in, mm-hmm. you know, like narrowing in and just getting like in, like obsessed with some particular thing and just having that be the thing. Right. But I'm, I'm just always on to the next thing. And so I can afford to do it and still stay up on shit because just professionally I'm surrounded with a lot of people that know what's mm-hmm. going on. So I probably know more than I think I know about archery equipment, for instance. Right. Like one of the guys I work with, Garrett Long, like all I just like for firearm issues, he's a competitive shooter and right. he shoots more than anybody, like far and away more than anybody I know. I always just ask him, like, okay, listen, what's up with this now? And he'll, I'll get, I'll know just enough to know, but then I don't have any doubt that I'm getting good field tested information. Right. So when it comes to, you know, like everybody, I was shooting, um, what are those, uh, what the hell is the arrow everybody shot for the longest time and then now people are quitting using them it's like aluminum is it carbon no is it, like it was the, the is it the arrow or is it no, the it was like an arrow full metal jack yeah yeah the fmjs yeah 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 I'll shoot. i still shoot them well i'm not dogging on them i'm just yeah. saying every for a while everybody, everybody shot everybody yeah. shot fmjs yeah, yeah. so i shot fmjs and then right. all of a sudden everybody's like well in fact and so I'm like, oh, well, get me some of those too. Right. And I switched to those because it's people I know that that are that geek out. So I just take their geek out info. Yeah. And and I can't. And if someone said like, oh, I noticed you switched from blank to blank, I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, well I ran all the numbers, and I'd be more like, well, that's what Yanni and Phelps were saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they told me. <laughs> that's what they told me. They just told me to do it. Yeah, and I can't. I don't know. I'm not going to argue those guys. No, about it. I do the same thing. They I read call, all. They read all that shit. <laughs> I call people. Like I'll call people and just ask them because uh-huh. I I don't know. Like the other thing is I I don't I don't have the time. Like you, I just don't have the time to to jump full in on the deep end on some of this stuff and think about like what's the weight ratio on the collar that I need to put on my arrow and then yeah. how am I like I just 
Sure. Like, is it interesting? And if I had an inordinate amount of time that I could just, you know, load up on my calendar and blast away, I probably would because I'm that big of a nerd on certain things, but I just don't have the availability to do it. And I just call people like, Hey, what's going on? I had, I had the same kind of conversation where I was asking around about, I was having, having some issues with my bow and I had a too aggressive, I, I, I went to a too aggressive cam so i didn't really have um the the release point to where it goes into you know relax or whatever it is i forget what it's called the wall um i didn't have a lot back there it was like 85 percent let off but then oh and it was like and it was like if if yeah, i, I if like i feeling. like dude i i could i don't not... need someone i don't need someone to tell me i don't like that <laughs> i don't like it but everybody was like this is what you need to go to you know no, and i and i and feeling. i was like I hate this. And I struggled with it for months. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I hate this. I hate this. You know, and it's like, it must be me. Everybody else likes it because it's aggressive. And you get like another one foot per You're like, second. Back, back, you back. Know? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, no. And I hated it. I like to be eased. I like a yeah. little bit of easing in yeah. on the back end. Yeah, same. So I, I was like, I got to get out of this. So I yep. finally, actually, Joe, I called Joe. And because he's a fairly objective guy. I was like, what's what's the deal? And he's like, Oh, you got to do this, this, and this. It's the same thing with like, cause I can call him and he'll tell me what he thinks and he won't give me any bullshit. Cause yep. he, it's not as if like Hoyt or, you know, Easton or any of those guys, it's not like he's sponsored by him. So he's not going to give you, he's going to give you good info. Yeah. He's going to give you the, yeah. the, the stuff, the good stuff. I, I know enough, um, experts in various fields now that a lot of times when someone asks, when people ask me a question, I'll refer them elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I wind up being like a um, a concierge. Mm-hmm. So recently someone asked me a bear baiting question. And I'm right. like, you know what? I'm going to put you in touch with like the guy that knows more about bear baiting than anyone on the planet. Or be like, hey, why do turkeys go like this? Right. I'm like, you should talk to the wild turkey doc. I'll connect you on text. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, a, I'm like, a, like a, I'm a conduit. You're a, you're a concierge. I'm a conduit for ex- Steve Ranella. Ex- yeah, expertise conduit. Yeah, expertise concierge. It should be my service should be called. I don't know, but I'll tell you who does. Is my service. <laughs> well, it's the same thing because I, I a few months ago I texted you when I came into town. I was like, where do I drink coffee in Bozeman? You gave me the three places that I should be drinking coffee in Bozeman, and I've been there literally every time I come into town and that's where I drink coffee. No, that's correct. Yeah, you're 100% right. Oh, you're 100% right. So I thank you for that. Uh, Treehouse, like that place is great. Mm-hmm. Like they've got great coffee. I mean, the vibe they're right, in there. They're downtown. Yeah, yeah, it's right yeah. downtown. I love that. You almost feel like you should, you got to like apologize for coming in. I know. Yeah, yeah but we were. Sorry, man. I just needed a coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to disturb you in your artisan crafts. I just was trying to get caffeinated, and I understand that I don't belong here, but I need to get coffee. <laughs> um, couple things. How many books have you written now? Um, seriously? Well, because it just gets a little bit complicated. Why? How does it get complicated? Nine or ten. Okay. This is just getting so far up there. Well, no, because like, working on multiple ones at a time, and then oh, some okay. art in audio projects. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, right. audio projects. So I did. I did three. My first three books were narrative nonfiction books, mm-hmm. right? Like books that tell a story, right? 
and I'll get back I'll, and I'll I'll get I, I look forward to the day in my career when I get back into narrative nonfiction. But then I did, you know, like a two part guidebook series. Yeah. So the complete guide to hunting, butchering, cooking wild game. When we got done with that, which I really it, like, it was seven hundred pages long. Yeah, it was right here. Actually, it was just saw it on the way in. Oh, did you? Yeah. Not the cookbook, but the we had this like two like small volume one, small game volume one. Yep. So that was seven hundred pages, and my publisher was just you can't. I mean, no one's you can't you can't have a seven hundred page book. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even it, it's just not a thing, right? And so she's like, you either um, cut a bunch of it out and figure it out, or we do two. So we just made it volume one, volume two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so that was kind of intended to be one, but it became two. So did you get to cheat and count it as two? It's great. Yeah. I think you can count it as two. Uh, so so yeah. there's two. Because it's <laughs> and clearly then did, labeled two. Then, one yeah, two. did a cookbook, um, the Wild Game Cookbook, did an Outdoor Skills uh, book. Right now we're working on a – did a book about raising kids. Yeah, I love that book. Outdoor Kids in an That's Inside good. World. I'm not like an expert kid raiser, but I'm, I have a lot of expertise about engaging kids with nature. You have kids, yeah, and what all, and have right. been at it for a long time. Like very aggressive about, uh, very aggressive about giving them outdoor experiences. So I developed subject matter expertise mm-hmm. on just how much of a pain in the ass it is to get your kids outside, yeah, and how to overcome that pain in the assness. Uh, and then right now we're working on a kids like a like a kind of an activity book for kids, mm-hmm. which will be cool. Doing an outdoor cooking book. Like what? Like uh, are you talking about like grilling, Dutch ovens grilling, and stuff like smoke? That, What's that? Grilling, smoking, not like Dutch ovens or no? Or, yeah, there'll yeah, be yeah. Dutch oven stuff okay. in there, but yeah. all kinds of outdoor cooking. Right. We're not going to use this because it's almost too tidy. From the back country to the backyard, too tidy. Why wouldn't you use it? Because everybody thinks it's too tidy. I thought it was great. Yeah, why won't? I mean, yeah, no one wants to put keep it, on it the... simple. Stupid. It's a kiss principle. Well, right? I know. Listen, right. I, like the the um. I'm working with someone I've worked with a whole bunch uh, named Krista Ruane. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and Krista, we did the first cookbook together, and she's my kind of partner and buddy on this whole project. Um, and she thinks it's too tidy. And then I work with someone very closely with an editor named Savannah on our end. Mm-hmm. And she, I feel like she thinks it's too tidy huh. from the back country to the backyard. I don't know. I mean, I don't don't see it. What's your? I'm I'm kind of on Savannah's side on this. Really? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you see in a in a bookstore, and you're like, yeah, it's a little too winky. You know, from the back country, too trite. Kinda, yeah. From the backyard to the back country. I mean, I don't think it's going to repel people from buying the book, but it's you know. Well, either way, I want people out there to know whether I use it or not. That shit's mine, man. Yeah. What's Is that your, how copyright works? I think so. Okay. I think I. I mean, I don't know. I. I, I could What's establish myself as two, a. It's, two, it's, two, it's summer 2022, late summer. Yeah. I'm saying that back country to backyard is my shit. Yeah. Legally binding now. Yeah. yeah. It's legally binding, and I think that the show will hold up in the court of law. I think. It's yeah. What's your? My my question is, what do you have a favorite piece that you've written? Because you started. Initially, it was mainly for magazines. That's where you started your, your mm-hmm. writing, right? For publication, and then you. The moved best in. thing I wrote. Yeah. What do you think? Do you have something like? Yeah. It doesn't even look. look the I was best. At, I'll tell you what. I was thing? at the height of my powers. <laughs> the height of your power. I was at the height of my powers. Yeah. When I wrote um, my Buffalo book. 
Ameri- really? American Buffalo in Search of a Lost Icon. I'll explain why. Yeah. I was as mature as I was going to get without having kids. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I was just more focused and disciplined um, than I was when I wrote my first book. I was in a relationship with who became my wife, so I could sense the need to buckle down and be focused and disciplined. But I wasn't exhausted and distracted from having kids. Right. And it worked out that I was able to really spend a lot of time on it. So I, because I, I could, I put a pause on when I came out of graduate school, I just did magazine work. Mm-hmm. Then I did a book and I did a book and magazine work. Mm-hmm. I had gotten good money for my first book. Well, at the time it was, no, I don't, I don't want to change it around. I, I got what the time felt to me like a staggering sum of money for my yeah. first book. I got like a six-figure advance my first book. Right. And I didn't do the math to figure out what that meant because you get a third up front. Right. You get a third when you submit the <clears throat> manuscript. You get a third when it comes out. So all this money you have, once you spread it out over the years, you don't have that much money. Right. And then it's, it's expensive to work on them because you got to yeah. do all the research and travel, right? But it seemed like a lot of money. Cause you so just... you have to pay for all that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's all, I mean, now th- there's... That was my deal then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was like right. it was. Here's the money, and you're going to spend what you're going to spend on mm-hmm. it, right? And I and I spent a lot. Uh, you know the research component. So, anyways, I had done that. I got a. I was working up and got a good deal. I got like a good advance for my book. It enabled me to not even really do any magazine. I didn't do any serious magazine work. Mm-hmm. I did research for eighteen months. I got to a point where I knew because I just didn't do anything but focus on this one thing besides hunting and messing around, but work professionally, work wise, my work brain, I just worked on that. And I got where I knew more about the subject than anybody alive. Now I didn't know more about all the parts. Like someone knew way more than me about physiology. Someone knew way more than me about, um, native American use Right. Someone knew vastly more than me about like Native American relationships to someone knew more to me than me about whatever the recovery efforts. But taken all together from pop culture to physiology to history, whatever, I knew more than anybody. And then I got to that point and and then spent a whole year putting all my research down and, and all my experiences down into book form. And I've, and that was the last time I ever have really been able to focus on anything. Do you miss that? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. But my wife points out, she's like, you were the most miserable Seriously? doing that. Why? Like why, why, why were you miserable? Cause I just, you know, no one knows what they really, no one knows what they really like. She's like, no one. Like, because of the obsession or what, what is it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would work, I don't, you know, six days I would write eight, read and write eight to 10 hours a day. Right. Six days a week. Yeah. Unless I was, especially in the summer months, whatever, you know, unless, except when I was doing for fun, mm-hmm. um, I was just very, very dedicated and focused on doing it. And I, yeah, I probably was miserable doing it. Um, but I, I really missed that level of focus. And it was shortly after that, that I got into, um, 
it was shortly after that that I got into still doing books, but doing doing television, um, and then much later doing that and, and trying to um, establish a business. You know, I mean, it, it's just like f- focus got hard. Yeah, focus got hard. But I was a one man. I was a one man deal. I work with all like we're so productive now because I work with a, a, a I work with a bunch of people, so we're able to do all kinds of stuff. Right. But I'm but I'm always only twenty five percent thinking about anything, and it and it's great, and that's a very impactful. I'm sure you understand it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I missed that level of focus, and someday I will return to that when I'm when I'm old. Right. I'll return to that, but I don't know if how if my brain will work as good as it did back then. Um, I've quit drinking since then, so I'm, I might even do better altogether. At it. You don't drink at all anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. I kind of. I'm, I'm landing there. Mm-hmm. I'm landing there. Same with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been drunk in, I haven't been drunk in four years. Yeah. I haven't had, I haven't had an identifiable buzz in, in four years. And the last time I did, I, I think I was hung over for two days. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's miserable. It's a miserable experience now. Yeah. Like I drink four or five vodka tonics in Las Vegas. Yeah. How hung over you? for days. 48. Yeah, so I'm 45, so we're basically the same age. I think mm-hmm. you got. I was just having. I was just having this conversation with another guy. Like we we're, you know, same age, give or take. And we're like, this sucks. It's really. It's just really miserable. It's a miserable experience. Like, even one glass of wine. If I overpour on a glass of wine, like I feel like shit. Yeah. I feel like shit trying to even go to sleep because like for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the sugar, or who knows, but I feel like shit. Yeah. Regardless, not to talk about alcohol. I'm interested in in two things now because you're talking about this is the last time you focused and then you you branched off into a bunch of different forms of media than business. So when like <laughs> see you're being drawn in court. Unfocused. Yeah. I'm unfocused. <laughs> but if you have your television show, you have your the the writing that you're doing and a podcast and a business and all these different things you're doing. But what is the thing that you get up in the morning like this is my this is my thing. I, I like this thing. Is it shooting the show is it doing the podcast is it writing is it what what is your thing is it too, all of it no yeah it's too complicated to answer i uh i thought i came up with this quote but someone told me i didn't come up with it and it's to the effect of um it's to the effect of i hate writing but i like having written <laughs> apparently someone said it better than that really? but it's a, it's anyone that most of the writers I know know that what I'm like. They know what I'm talking about. Mm. It's just that it's just there's a it's like um, is it, it's it's a slog. You know, I, I heard another quote. I definitely didn't. I can't take any credit for this quote. Um, some writer described writing as driving at night with your headlights on. Mm-hmm. You can see like just that far, right? But you just go and go and go and go and go and eventually you get somewhere. But you just can only see like what's immediately in front of you, right? And and it's just it just is hard, and so, but then you get it done, and it's just there's nothing better. There's nothing better. But I'm but I I was but yeah. Keep in mind, like I was born in 1974, so I I am very pre-internet. Yeah, and so a book was a th- like to be an author and write a book was a thing that I still reg- I still put a ton of cultural value mm-hmm. on it that that my kids probably aren't gonna um. My kids are probably not going to look at a book as a physical 
manifestation of something as in and of itself of value. Probably. Right. I'm be guessing. like a typewriter or something. Yeah, it'd be it, so it just meant a lot. Like mm-hmm. having a book and I was and I was trained as a writer, you know, I went to graduate school to write. Um I, I sold my first article like right before the dot com crash, but there was just like like books were a thing. Yeah. And I value them. So I don't like doing them, but I love having it done. And, and I've said before, if, if someone's going to chisel something into my tombstone, I'd way rather they chiseled author than TV host. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, in terms of things that I actually, in, like, what do I enjoy doing in the moment the most? Work. Yeah. Work related. The, tri- the trivia show. Really? Huh. Oh. It's the highlight of. Is that what you're trying to segue to right now? Is that mo- what we're doing? No, I'm just saying. Most of the people that come in, <laughs> most people that come in and do the trivia show, yeah. will tell you that it's probably one of their favorite things. Their favorite work-related activity is doing mm. the trivia show. I like filming. I, I lo- like I like filming our show a lot. Yeah. But if you had a thing that could measure pleasure in your brain, there is a thing that can measure pleasure. Oh, I'd like to have yeah. someone hook that up to me while I play the trivia show. <laughs> if I'm playing and winning. Yeah, you're high pleasure. High pleasure. High pleasure. Way higher than writing anything. Anything right. I got to write, I'm always like, "Do I yeah. seriously got to write this?" That's how I always feel. So there's there's a combination of things going on here, which is you lived in Seattle for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. So my wife worked for Amazon. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there, there was there used to be this bookstore that I loved, loved. It was like my favorite bookstore in Seattle, and. Let me see if you can guess it. Let's give oh, you some hints. Be, uh, I know every town's got a super famous bookstore. Tattered Cover's not there. It's mm. the Elliot, what's it called? Elliot Bay Bookstore. Elliot Bay. Yeah. <laughs> right off the bat. Look at that. We're we playing trivia. A little right trivia now? right there. <laughs> Elliot Bay. Yeah, that was that. Did you ever go in there before they just. just I did they, book events in there. Dude, it was such a great bookstore. Yeah. It was like Are they not there anymore? No, they just they they what? uh they scraped it and they put in like I think there's they're they're selling like Kardashian makeup or some shit in there what? now. Yeah, it's it's it was a travesty. They, say, like, they like, still they've got a second location, I think, around Capitol Hill that's still pretty it's a massive warehouse. It's a it's a cool spot, but it's not it's, nearly it's as cool not, as it's like Powell's in Oregon. Yeah. Powell's in Oregon, Elliott Bay, Bay. Tattered is Denver Tattered Cover. Sort of like like yeah. all the cities with the super famous old bookstore, man. Yeah, Elliott Bay Bookstore was was what I wanted every bookstore to be in. Mm-hmm. What I wanted every like the perfect bookstore that you could imagine. Elliott Bay was the perfect bookstore yeah. from from my perspective. Reverential Cause, to books because you could you know, go in there on a rainy, obviously like two hundred and seventy days out of the year it's rainy in Seattle, but you could go in there on a rainy day and they had a coffee shop in the 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 basement. And then they, that coffee smell would permeate through the three levels of the three floors. And then you had those creaky old wooden floors and they're big beams with cracks in them. And as you're walking through it, you creak as you're looking at all the books, right? And they had it, like the sections were organized as, as three levels, this fantastic bookstore. And you could spend all day in there because you could go down, get a cup of coffee, you know, go up, take a look at all of what you wanted and then come back down. And Chuck Polinak was the, oh. was an author that I discovered there in 1997. Oh. Yeah. That's that how it's first, supposed to work. You're supposed to discover way, authors in your bookstore. Yeah. That's that. So when I, the first book I got of his was there 
and it was incredible because I was like, God, that's he's he's an incredible author, and because uh, I hadn't read anything like that. Like I was reading like old old stuff, um, which leads me into well, your the, favorite bookstores. So there's but, two part. But I, yeah, I want to I want to hit this bookstore thing for a minute because it'll help you understand being a writer and, and being other stuff, other forms of media. Yeah, when I was a writer. I might go to say an Elliott Bay, yeah, and I would do a book event, and there might be a dozen people there, yeah, enough to where you, you, you would dread it, yeah, you dread it. Um, now, and that's like free, right? Okay, now we can go and sell out theaters, mm-hmm. and that ain't because of writing. <laughs> <laughs> no. There are writers that can do it, but there aren't many. No, there aren't no. many. No, there aren't many. I can't even imagine. I I can't name an author off the top of my head that can do that unless they have companion based forms of media. You could get a p. You could get out a legal pad and get a page of. I might be exaggerating. I think you yeah. can get a legal pad and on a page, you could and not making like painstakingly small script. I think you could list out the writers that make a living from writing. Yeah. Who today, modern, like guys that are living, that are still writing, who do you respect the most? Who do you read the most? He hasn't come out with anything lately, I don't think, but but I think that uh, of the, of, of like modern writers who I think are just in, like very important figures, mm-hmm. I usually go to... Uh, Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, right. I think is I think more like in terms of morality and a worldview. So you know, I mean, I guess that's what it takes to be a great writer is you have you you create a morality and you create a worldview mm. and you create like a, a package for understanding humanity and all that. I think that Cormac McCarthy. Um, you know, he's still alive. Yeah. Uh, he might not be as prolific as he once was, but um, he's always been a slow burn. You know, he puts a lot of focus in it. But I think that his stuff is, I think his stuff is the most important stuff. And man, I don't, I don't, I, What's I, your I, don't but I, I don't mean to sound, it's like, I don't want this to sound disrespectful to other writers. No. There's so many great writers. But I, I just look at if I could have a author, mm-hmm. you know, if I could be that when my kids, um, if when my kids turn 25, if I could have them really read and understand something, I would have them read and understand Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good way to, to frame that. Yeah. Which is what, what are the books that would be on your shelf that you'd want your kids to pull off? I'd be like, I want you to read this, but understand it. Yeah. As a nonfiction writer, I would want them to read and understand the works of John McPhee. Yeah. And maybe Joan, a writer named Joan Didion. Who has a who? Um, she shares with Cormac McCarthy a rather dim worldview, but not without hope. But a um, a dim worldview, like tr- train you to not have super high expectations, right? Of so, do you or, have of everybody around you? Do you have a Cormac McCarthy book that sticks out? Is something that this is the one that I would have them read and understand. Yeah. Probably the, the, the border trilogy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
in particular, I guess the crossing, the crossing. Okay. I don't know that they would, because I don't fully understand it, but uh, Blood Meridian, they could take a stab at Blood Meridian. The Road, Mm -hmm. you know, know, he did that, and it was so famous and great, but... Did you leave those, though? Like, here's the thing that I have with this, is I get really immersed in the story, and it affects me emotionally, because it's so draining. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm in it. Yeah. And I can think about it, and I find myself kind of like dragging my feet through the day at times where I'm like, oh, like, because I'm in it. I'm in the story. And I feel like that. And it it affects me. Sure. It does. It affects me. Do you, does that happen to you, or do you just like, ah, whatever? Yeah, I just read, I, I just read, I just had that experience because when we were just moose hunting, we're moose hunting in a place and in a way where you just don't move for a long, long, long time. Right. So we sat in one spot for 10 days. Yeah. Um, you just land on these kind of like ridge tops and, and you just got to stay in your little spot and calm and try to gradually bring something to you. So I read this whole book. It's not out yet, but um, there's a historian named Dan Flores and he wrote a, he has a book coming out in October. It's called wild new world. And it's a history of humans and wildlife in America starting with well he kind of starts with the chicxulub strike that that killed the dinosaurs Mm. but he gets real it really kind of begins with clovis yeah the arrival of clovis Mm -hmm. and ends now and he has such the book has such a dim view i use dim worldview so i shouldn't use the word dim again um it made the book really uh, highlights just the atrocities committed on wildlife by humans, mm-hmm. in particular, the celebrated hunters of our past, like like who? the Bo- Daniel Boone, oh yeah, mm-hmm. the Jim Bridgers, the Davy Crockett's, mm-hmm. um, and. <laughs> And I tried to resist it at first. You resisted the book? Or? I resisted sort of there, there's a question with these with these with the, the, the our 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 you know, our frontiersmen heroes. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a question of to what degree did they know what they were doing? Right. You know. To what degree did they understand what was happening around them? Right. And to what degree were they the the victims of circumstance or you know did they have like a lived experience right so the really big all the buffalo hide hunters for mm-hmm. instance i mean so many of those guys were coming out of the civil the civil war yeah yeah, yeah. Right? just people they were people they fought for the confederacy mm-hmm. confederacy they fought for the union they were displaced penniless mm-hmm. war ravaged you know had horrific stuff happen to them, whatever. And they went out and they're like, Hey, you can make some money shooting Buffalo on the great plains. Right. And they proceeded to just make money, almost kill all of them. Right. Uh, and then you look, you'd be like, well, you know, think about it, man, what they, the cards they were dealt, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have some level of pity on them to the point where you can still kind of celebrate the skill set. But reading this book of just thing after thing after thing. And it's, it's it's um the 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 woolly mammoths and then you're on to it's the 
predators. It's the strychnine poisoning campaign of mm. predators. It's the just ambivalence of the ivory-billed woodpecker. It's uh, the, 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 the total ambivalence of what happened to the passenger pigeon. Right, the near destruction of all the waterfowl species by market hunters, mm. and then I'd always I was raised, yeah, I was raised and began to just these were celebrated figures, mm. like yeah, they did something kind of naughty, like they sure. killed everything, yeah. but I mean, holy cow, the skill sets, the adventure, yeah, yeah, and um, and, <laughs> and reading that book, I kept getting mad at the book. I got mad at the book. Now, I'm actually doing an event with the author here in town. Right. And I'm and I'm gonna explain to him before we do the event that I was like, half of me feels like I should be protesting out front, right? Not sitting here interviewing you. <laughs> I should be protesting your book because it's a it's a um it's a dream ruiner. <laughs> it's a dream. It's a hero yeah, ruiner. Yeah, yeah. So I do feel that uh, in other ways, like with fiction, the road makes you want to hug your babies tight. Oh man, it, it really does. Right, it, it puts yeah. you into a puts me into a funk. You ready that, to kill for your babies? Yeah, you do. You 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 spend more time. You become more emotionally aware, and you also think about just what would you know? Because you, you in that specific book, I constantly thought about what this must be like to be able to you know defend your children mm-hmm. in those circumstances, to the point of which you start making changes. You know, you almost start to think about prepping in a way where you're like i gotta make significant changes in my life because i i can't be in this situation you know where i don't have certain things in order to protect my family and i don't read it and think and 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 i read it read it all those years ago now yeah and i'm like i can't tell you that that's not how shit would go down no yeah there's there's i'm not reading i'm not reading anything here that makes me think he's being pessimistic overly pessimistic no no i'm reading it going that's fairly accurate yeah in terms of a in terms of a worldview i think it makes you his his stuff in some way makes you feel like being that being defensive is a that, that being defensive about um, what you have and what you value is a it's it's a defendable position to feel defensive, mm-hmm. or to feel yeah. like you're maybe um, yeah, to to be aggressively defensive about what around what's around you that you love right. a lot. Yeah, it's almost creating your own sanctuary, right? So it's like it's okay mm-hmm. you create your own sanctuary because look, yeah, because look at this. What what do you think about previous though? So if you're to put put a list of things authors together that were impactful to me, yeah, that's yeah, a fun, yeah. that's a much more fun list. Yeah. The authors that it, it's a little bit complicated because you inherit them. I, I went through a thing that I th- I'm guessing it's changed a lot. In 2000, I finished what's what, what, an MFA, a Master of Fine Arts in mm-hmm. Nonfiction. Um, I'm sure that whole world has eva- has gone through dramatic changes. Uh, they were MFA programs were at the height of their power. I went to a very good MFA program. It might you might not think that it was. It was University of Montana, mm-hmm. but University of Montana had this stellar writing program. Very hard to get into. Um, I later met people that were responsible for me getting in, and I was kind of a they, they viewed me as a wild card, like a roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. Um, to let me into the program. 
Really? Yeah, well, which is a lot of like like a lot of Ivy League kids. Oh, right. Gotcha. A lot of people who had phenomenal scores. I had a writing. I had a writing sample. I didn't do. I didn't take the GRE seriously. I I did mediocre in college. Um, not bad, but not great. Right. But I had a writing sample that was that was just something that they hadn't seen. Mm. Meaning, I was writing out of a world. I was writing out of a world that that they hadn't come across. Mm. And so, I got in. I wasn't a whore. I mean, I, I had. I wasn't like a crazy, crazy wild card. I mean, I'd gone to college. I had right. like, I had whatever, a three, four or three, five, like pretty good, great. You know, I didn't bomb the GRE, but I didn't do great in the GRE, but I got in on that. I got in on, on my writing sample and got in and, and it was like people at that point in time, um, you know, I met other kids that were also going through these same kind of programs and we all read these same things. Like everybody read, a writer named Raymond Carver. Everybody was in love with this mm-hmm. with Raymond Carver. People read Joan Didion. Mm-hmm. Um, people had a very uh, a respect, if not a love, for the writer John McPhee. Yeah. When Jesus Son came out by Dennis Johnson, everybody was very excited about mm-hmm. Dennis Johnson's Jesus Son. When a heartbreaking work of staggering genius came out by Dave Edgar's, um, it, it became like almost like a Bible for. Mm-hmm writer kids like us people that were all trying to become writers what happened was so many of them um wanted to be avant-garde because these are all avant-garde writers yeah yeah. and so everyone wanted to be they wanted to be the person that would write the next jesus son yeah or they wanted to be the next ray carver and they all wanted to be that they were dysfunctional that you could be like drunk and write jim harrison yeah exactly you like you you could you know be drunk and bombastic yeah, and yeah. and brilliant and that was the way to go yeah and so we read just out of that immature that little bit of immaturity kind of read these uh, Hunter Thompson would be not so yeah, yeah Hunter Tom- he'd already kind of he was already he already passed set the his, precedent yeah. he set his prime but it, for the kids for I keep saying kids we were in our twenties those of us whatever um felt like kids. That were these, you know, elite, somewhat like elite writer talents that were in these intensive writing training programs. Um, you kind of, yeah, the the avant-garde, um, insane, dysfunctional drinkers who could kind of get away with anything. They're still very beloved, right? Mm-hmm. We read all those people. Yeah. And 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 I don't know. It was almost like you were just were supposed to read all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never tried to do that. I tried to do something very different. And when I got when I started meeting, when I started discovering work that sat outside of that, like the the rebellious writing, um, and I got into writers that were just that were very disciplined writers. Um, the the work of this of a writer named Ian Fraser. He doesn't write much anymore, but but he was at, at a time a very just phenomenal writer, and he wrote this book called Great Plains. He wrote a history of the Great Plains. Um, it was a very celebrated book. Mm-hmm. Had a huge impact on me, but a, a very quiet, restrained personality, um, and 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 just like a, a like a diligent craftsman, mm-hmm. you know. And so when I started getting into that, that became the stuff I really emulated. 
But I went into it thinking that, you know, well, yeah, well, it'd be great to be a, like, who doesn't want to be Hunter Thompson? Sure. Drive around on motorcycles, shooting guns. Doing acid. Everybody makes Sounds movies funny. out of your books. Yeah. They shoot your ashes off in a mm-hmm. cannon. You hang out with Johnny Depp. Sounds cool. Sign me up. Yeah, it sounds cool. <laughs> and then later, like, there's yeah. a couple of people that could pull that off, but later you become just a like a person who's six days a week, 10 hours a day right? trying to write a book. And the last thing you're going to do is you're not going to do it with a buzz. No. you got to get up in the morning. <laughs> you know? It's insane. Like, I don't know how so they did it. Yeah, so it's all these. But, you know, I had never read anything serious. Well, I, I did. I, I take that back. I read it constantly. I would check out the same book. I would check out. The, the same books about trapping when I was a little kid <laughs> right. and they'd put a, they wouldn't let you check them out for a while. I'd check it out and recheck it out. And then it'd be that you can't check it out for two weeks. Right. To, so, so someone else can have a chance to check it out yeah. and you, you know, no one's going to read it. So you'd wait two <laughs> weeks and I'd go get it back. And I'll just read these books. When I got into graduate school, this is so embarrassing. When I got into graduate school, the summer between when I finished, I finished college, took me an extra t- semester to finish college. Between when I finished college and started grad school, I was like, I'm, I have to read a book. I have to read like a famous book. Yeah. I tried to read um, the the only small thing James Joyce ever wrote. Which one? I tried to read Dubliners, okay. his book of short stories. Yeah, Couldn't yeah. get through it. But I was like, yeah. I thought to myself, man, since I'm going to this big time graduate program, yeah. I better read something by James Joyce. I sure as shit not going to read Ulysses. Yeah, well, I had it on my shelf. Did you? Did you finish it? Uh, no, I started the first three pages <laughs> and I put it back on the shelf. Or like, yeah. what was it, Finnegan's Wake? Yeah. And, uh, couldn't, couldn't do it. I couldn't no. get through Dubliners. So I went no. in feeling ill prepared. <laughs> I've always held that. I was like, God, I can't finish this. I'm I'm an idiot. Something's wrong with <laughs> something, me. Something's wrong That's with me. Felt, what wrong do I have? Like, do I have a mental problem? Like, what? Well, I can't. I can't do this. Yeah. And, uh, then I got there and realized that none of the wannabe writers, um, none of the wannabe writers, actually read James Joyce. But that's how little I knew. No, I. I mean, but then you, you'd go on to. Did you, Did you ever read Cadillac Desert? Oh yeah. Yeah. That or, stuff. That's when I talk about the discipline stuff. Yeah, like Cadillac yeah, Desert. Cadillac was, Desert. Like life-changing in sure. some ways right where you know growing up in northern idaho not thinking about the desert not mm-hmm. thinking about kind of the the developmental aspects of how we were kind of expanding west and then uh allocating water however that is yeah uh, it's uh, funny you bring it up because i was just talking about that book because uh my colleague clay is reading the rising tide okay and i was pointing out to him i was um pointing out to him how uh, i said you know that and shit like Cadillac Desert, you know yeah, these yeah. really big, just so like perfectly done nonfiction titles that that kind of explain America through some event, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an amazing book, and mm-hmm. it still sits on my shelf today. Like there are things that I'm like, oh whatever, I just throw them away. Yeah, like yeah, it was funny. I hadn't heard of McVie until I did a podcast with uh, Mike Rowe probably six months ago, and he's a huge. Is he big? Oh my gosh! Yeah, he was raving about oh, him, and so uh, my first employee I ever hired, like maybe a week later, all of his books showed up in paperback. Mm-hmm. So he bought me like a big box, every book that he wrote. The other guy that um, that I really like that I read now that I haven't, I, I never read. All his books were in my house growing up because my grandpa and my dad read wrote all or read all his books. Was uh, Louis Lamore? Oh. Yeah. They're awesome. Like the Saget series is awesome. Like I, as a 45 year old male, I'm like, this is awesome. I love this book. Them? Yes. They're great. They're, mm. 
They're easy. I don't think I've ever read a Louis L'Amour book. Dude, you got to Like the Saget series. So Louis L'Amour is such an interesting guy. Like he is a fascinating person. And he's probably, I would say, and this is my own humble opinion, he's probably one of the most underrated American authors in history because of the genre in which he wrote in. But he did this. You're saying Louis L'Amour is underrated. Yes. Because he's not one. He's not like to your point. He's not avant garde, right? He's oh. not. He's not gonna. He, he's Louis Lamar. No, he's like a, he's a male romance novelist. But it's yeah. it's not. Or even he's romance. regarded that. Yeah. I should say, he's regarded as such. And you've never you've never read one. No. Okay. So I but gotta, I used to have. I've had meetings. My I publish with Random House Penguin yeah, Random House, yeah, yeah. and they have a Louis Lamar room. And I've been to meetings in the Louis Lamar room. Yeah. And, so he did this series called the Saget series, and it's it's not romance. Not it's, Bob Saget. No. It's on this family that he follows from uh, Britain to their their eventual one person as he expands into the United States or immigrates in the United States because he's escaping um, tyranny, essentially. And then he immigrates in the 1600s to the United States. And then he starts a family, and that family branches off. And he does 200 years of this this. Got this it. family story as they're in and they're fun they're not like you're not going to sit down and and you know take a notepad out but they're really fun and he did a lot of research so he was making them historically accurate as to who was doing what and where in a lot of the places that were like the expansion west is fascinating and then to tell that in fiction through not just cowboys and indians that's not the way it was he talks about you know, trapping and how yep. when they the first Ameri- the first British uh, immigrants when they landed in the United States, it was just the land of opportunity. What I thought was super fascinating that I I I um, reading these, it just kind of activated. Oh yeah, kind of a, a light bulb moment was why hunting and fishing is so intrinsically American, mm-hmm. and why there's it's the developmental aspects of our society as to if you were part of, you know, Ireland or Britain or whatever, whatever European country you immigrated from, what you hunted or fished would belong to the king. It wasn't yours. It was theirs. Yeah. But when you came here, it was the land of opportunity. And ultimately, you know, you were going out and trapping or fishing or hunting and that was yours, right? So it was yours to yield and take. But there's a definitive shift in the way that people perceived America as Americans and then where they were coming from as far as even tyrannical control. Sure. Which I thought was, why is hunting so intrinsically American? Well, they didn't know how to hunt. That was the other thing. They were soldiers. They had taken long... That collection of those Western Europeans had taken a long break from hunting. A long break, yeah, (laughs) they had. A 9,000-year break. And they they had to be taught how to hunt. Yeah by their Native American friends, for a lack of a, a better term, but they had to be taught how to do these necessary skills in order to survive and how important and necessary that was, even as we started to expand you know, west yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. But I thought how... One, I hadn't had that thought experiment That's, before. That, the, you know, when I was talking about Wild New World, yeah. the book I just read that was uh-huh. depressing to me, um, great but depressing to me, is it it talks largely about how that sense of liberty and freedom kind of got away from them. Oh yeah. <laughs> it took yeah. a little far. I could see that. <laughs> Cause like I thought about it just in the context of 
okay, you're going into this place and there are no rules. Mm -hmm. So you can do whatever you want. Well, without discipline and order, it becomes controlled chaos because that's kind of what we like to do as, as you know, well, we, I'm not lumping everybody into this, but that's just kind of man's nature. It's like, you know, without some type of order or structure, you're going to have a significant impact on your environment because you just, yeah, you, you cause a lot of havoc. It, like it you, becomes you become, a, well, if I don't, he's gonna. Yeah. And then I got to do it. Until it becomes that he can't. Right. No one's going to slow down. Nobody's going to slow down. <laughs> no. no. I can see the mirror of him, bro. Yeah. And like you see that, like I saw that in war. Like I saw how in 2003 when we did the invasion, when you're doing an invasion, there are new rules. It's wild. It's, it's, it's not the Wild West. It's wild it's the most chaotic event that you could imagine in in any thought process Mm -hmm. because you think about it in the context at least even before i would think about it in the context of movies or you know things that i've read you what doesn't capture it in the only movie that truly captures the chaos of war is apocalypse now Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that that truly captures how fucking insane it is and so you're participating in this ultra chaotic event and there are no rules and you have godlike power it's it's a wild experiment and i thought about that in the context of the western expansion because you have in some certain circumstances even just having horses right before the introduction of the horse into the northern america like you know horses and gunpowder that's godlike advantage. Yeah, yeah. So you're out in the, you know, obviously as you, you, you go out, but you're in this uncontrolled environment, which is ultimately yours. And the only thing that will kill you is essentially the environment itself. And there are rules in it, but it's a wild experience. I think to think about Western expansion and then being involved in something, I would say on a micro level, how similar and yet addictive because I can't imagine what it would be like to have the entire West of the United States. And if you're built like I am with the sense of adventure and what, like if you're, you know, 16, 17 years old and you're living, like I can't imagine having that, that, that black or I shouldn't say black, but that, that non-existent map, Sure. And having the opportunity to be like, okay, I'm going to step out and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm just going west. Yeah. In an environment where you could literally get away with murder. Yeah. Literally. Like there's yeah. no just recourse. No. Yeah. And there's no cell phones or it's intoxicating. What do you, yeah. yeah. I, I could I don't mean intoxicating in a negative way, but just an enormous, yeah. It, it's, that's what I dedicated to, to with reading. I, when I was young, I dedicated myself to reading about the people that experienced that. Yeah, it probably was in a lot of ways very informed by it. But that set of, I just didn't do it from the writer Louis Moore. I just throw that out as a suggestion. I'm, I'm not trying to like, hack on the brother. No, you should. No. I think everybody should because should hack on Louis Moore. No, I think everybody should take a take a take a turn on it. They should take it because it's one of those uh, 
it's a paper black it's a paperback novel that you can carry in your back pocket and you can throw it away if you don't like it. At the end of the day, it's it's like he's a he's a I think he's an important piece of American literary history. I I'm really gonna do. read the Sagats. You should. Up till the Bob Saget yeah. episode. Like I carried um I mean I carried a book every almost everywhere I went in war, a paperback. I can't even imagine like how many books I ultimately threw away. Mm-hmm. But I carried them all the time because it was like it gets boring. Sometimes you're just fucking bored. War gets bored. Yeah, it does. Like it's not like you're in a gunfight all day long, twenty four hours a day. There are days where you're like, I gotta sit on this pallet of MREs for a week. Okay, I gotta have something. So take out a pen and you've convinced you convinced me. I'm gonna read it. You should try it anyway. Um, so we covered this. I you want to do some trivia? Is that right? Is that what no? We we're gonna do? you're gonna stick around. For oh, I'm gonna stick show. around. You're gonna be in our. trivia I'm gonna show. be in the trivia show. Uh, you didn't know this? No. I, Jamie told me probably, but honestly, we're gonna they, finish just, they just spring this shit on our me. People, and I'm like, our people are going to come in, okay, and you're going to participate in our trivia show. Great. You're going to be a guest of honor in the trivia show. He'll throw, <laughs> a you'll, guest he, of he'll honor. Throw, you'll get thrown a bone. <laughs> a guest of honor. It's 10 questions. All right. I love it. Let's go. Let's transition. It's 10 questions. Way. Usually a winner will get six or seven. Great. There's been one perfect game in the history of the show. Okay. Well, let's try it. Let's go. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!